Anybody here got personal goals? Gigi, what's your personal goal, hon? To get baptized. Okay, yeah, you can pull that off. That's a good one. Um, yes, sir? Wear flip-flops until COVID ends. Wear flip-flops until COVID ends. That's an interesting personal goal. I like that. All right. Good one. Uh, yeah. My personal goal is like to get down to like 32s. I'm at 38 right now, but it's looser than it used to be, which is good. Um, <laughs> well, because I mean, you know, the COVID—that's it. It gets uh, gets you when you when you have a little extra weight on you, so you got to be careful. COVID-25. The COVID twenty five, yeah, it's like more like the COVID eighty, but yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the weird things about lockdown is that it—I mean, as John pointed out, and as Juji pointed out, it changes your personal goals, right? Um, before lockdown, you know, there was po- probably people, I know, I know I was talking to, I've been talking to some guys who have businesses, right? And they're like, you know, before COVID happened, it's your, your, your goal, your personal goal is to grow your business, you know, so many, you know, dollars, right? Uh, now that we're, we've been locked down for almost, uh, almost five months, that those, those goals change, right? Because, you know, you can't do it. Well, you'll remember Paul himself, Paul's also in lockdown, uh, Paul had to change some of his personal goals, and in today's text, we're going to get to see where what, where a guy who's who can't go anywhere and is very likely to die. What his personal goal is. So this is um this is my translation of a Philippians three nine to fourteen. I do not have a righteousness of my own that comes from obedience to Torah, to the the Old Testament law, but one that comes through Christ's faithfulness, the righteousness from God based on trust. I want to intimately know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings, taking the form of his death, if somehow I may reach the goal of the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to seize it because Messiah Jesus has seized hold of me. Beloved, I don't think I've even gotten there. I don't think that even I've gotten there. But here's the thing, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, to the prize of the upward calling of God in Messiah Jesus. In this, uh, this, this translation, I've, I've preserved a ton of the goal language, the, the sense of any, any verb that's based on uh, the, the word we, uh, telos or, or teleo, um, meaning to get to the end, to arrive at the prize, the goal, to to, to, to get it done. I've really kind of draw, draw that out. So you hear goal, 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 goal. But what is the goal? Well, at the very beginning of the text, uh, it seems like Paul, Paul tells us, he says, you know, if I may somehow, if somehow I may reach the goal of the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, I've already reached the goal, but I press on to seize it, the resurrection of the dead. And so it sounds very, it's, it could be very easy, a lot of people have, have read it this way, John Wesley for one read it this way, he thought of Christian life, because uh, notice Paul's using a running metaphor, you know, going for the goal, the prize, he imagined Christian life uh, like, like uh, running up the stairway to heaven. He imagined that Christian life was like, uh, the, the goal was to be as good as you can, and to be uh, so holy and awesome, and, and pure that that at the end at the end God says yes you did it you get to come into heaven well done and if that's the case that's kind of odd it's kind of odd because did you notice uh, did you notice that Paul doesn't know if he's gotten to the goal yet do you see that in the text 
He says, uh, not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal. He says, beloved, I don't think that even I have gotten there. Even me, Paul, it's emphatic in the Greek, that's why I brought it out. He's like, even I, because Paul's a pretty super cool dude. He's done a lot of great things. Even I don't think I've got it. Well, that's a pretty, that must be some pretty weak goal making then, right? Because I know, we all know when we've reached our goals. Reaching our goals, it's either a yes or a no for the most part, right? The first thing they teach you in, your, in, in business, in leadership, is you have to have metrics. You've got to be able to tell when you've arrived. You've got to know what the goal is. That way, with data collection, you can decide whether or not you've done it. And so if your goal is to expand your business by $10 million and you only expand it by $9.7 million, it's a failure and you know you failed. And if your goal is to make sure that you've got 1,000 people coming to your church every week and you only get 825, you've failed. You know goals, metrics. We've got to have data collection. It's how Westerners think. It's awesome. And it's led to a lot of amazing things. Look at this. We're outdoors. We're outdoors. And we just had probably the best musical version of that last song we've ever heard. We have keyboards and internet. We, we've, got, we've got all of this because, because people put down their goals and they set them and they achieved them and they went after them. Well, what, I mean, so if, if, if Paul's not even certain, because doesn't it seem like getting to heaven, being raised from the dead, you either know that you've done that or you don't. Right? You either wake up when you die and you either wake up in heaven or you don't. You either, you know, you either Jesus comes back and takes you away or he doesn't. This is not like a, you shouldn't, Paul should, if that's what Paul thinks the goal is, he shouldn't be confused about it. It's a very clear binary. It's like this or that. And I suggest to you that that's because that's not the goal that Paul's thinking about. Because there are goals that we have in our lives that you're never quite sure if you've pulled it off. Like, for example, let's say, let's say that you're dating and you want to get to know the person that you're with. You want to know that person really well. And so you set a goal for yourself, I'm going to get to know him or her. At what point are you like, yeah, I did it. I pulled it off. I mean, you could, you could say like I've made progress, right? Like, so when I, when I think of that, I know someone pretty well. It's, I feel like I can usually kind of intuit what, how they're going to respond to things, right? That might be a way that I might say, I know this person really well. But I, I could never at any point be like, yep, I've absolutely got it. This is because anything, things can change. People change. They might do something that surprises me. It's not like there's this, you know, when you're talking about getting to know someone, there's, it's hard to make a metric. It's hard, to, it's hard to, to discern, yes, I've achieved it. Or say, for example, that you wanted to know what it was like when your mom or dad or brother or sister or friend or child graduated with their degree. You want to know what that's like. You want to experience that. Well, the best that you could probably do would be to, I don't know, I guess graduate yourself, right? And if you did that, then maybe you would have some inkling, but you still would never quite really know 
what it was like for that person when they graduated in their context, in their circumstance. Or maybe you have a family member who suffers from back pain and you want to know, you want to share, have empathy with that person and back pain. Well, even if you have your own back pain, right? Even if you're, my back went out once and it was awful. And so for those of you who have chronic back pain, Gary, I think of you, man, I, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. I, I, was, I was out for like four days. I mean, I could still move around, but those four days were some of the worst ever. But the thing is, if I'm being honest and I'm trying to say, do I really have empathy for Gary and his bad back? Do I really know it? Do I really, can I really say that I've experienced it? Well, maybe. And if that were my goal, maybe I've reached that in some respects, but probably not. I mean, I haven't dealt with it for as long as you have or the same intensity. And so, I mean, I might have a goal, but it would be hard to know if I'd achieved it. It's hard to know if, if you've gotten to know someone really well. It's, it's hard to know if, if you've experienced the same uh, joy and power that they've experienced. It's hard to know if you've shared and, and experienced and participated in the same way that others have suffered. Those are all goals that it's hard to know if you've really got them. Well, did you hear what Paul said? In verse 10, he says, I want to intimately know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings, taking the form of his death. If somehow I may reach the goal of the resurrection of the dead. The goal isn't the resurrection of the dead. It's the experience of the resurrection now. The goal isn't to rise one day. The, Paul, that's going to happen. That's, that's, that's a done deal. The, the goal is for Paul in this moment, in this time, to, to know Jesus deeply. It's, it's to, to have the same power to know the power that, that raised him from the dead and have that be in Paul's life. It's, it's for him to experience and share and take part in Jesus' sufferings. It's the first thing in your note sheet. Paul's goal is to never stop becoming more like Jesus. Paul wants to live Jesus' life now. He wants to be living as Jesus lived. And, and the, there's, there's never a point where you're like, I did it. I'm just like Jesus now. I did it. I've, I've figured Jesus out. I've got him. I know exactly what how, the same very power of the resurrection is coursing through my, my veins all the way to my fingertips. And yeah, I finally come to understand his pain and his loss in the crucifixion. Well, how's he going to do it, right? So th that's the goal, right? The goal, that, the goal for most of us is to, to grow this or to lose that or to, you know, some, the goal for Paul is to become more like Jesus. And he has a plan. He's figured out how he's going to do it, the way he's going to keep going. And he uses that awesome metaphor, the metaphor, the, the, the analogy of running a race. And he's like, how do you do it? How do you, how do you finish a race? How do you finish strong? What's the secret to making it all the way? Well, I don't know, because I've never been in a race. And I've 
maybe run like a mile once. It took me about 10 minutes. But what Paul seems to think, and maybe those of you who are insane and who do run all the time, maybe you can tell that this is true. The one thing you don't do is you dwell on what you just accomplished. You don't look back to what just came before or even the beginning of the race. You don't start thinking about the hills that you've already climbed. You don't think about the, the gentle slope that you were on but aren't any longer. You, you, you're, you're, all of your attention has to be forward-directed. And so he, he says in the text, he says, I don't think that even I've got there, but here's the thing. I forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. It's not even that he doesn't contemplate it. He forgets it. He just tosses it out. So if you're talking about wanting to know Christ intimately, what does it mean to forget what's already happened, what's already gone past? And what does it mean to strain forward? Well, similarly, imagine uh, that you're, you decide, you, you make a personal goal for yourself. I'm going to get to know my dad. I'm going to get to know my kids. I'm going to get to know my spouse, my lover, my whomever. And that's your, your, your goal is I'm going to get to know that person. Well, the one thing that you don't want to do is to look back at the failures of the past. Imagine that you're deciding your goal is to get to know, you know, whomever. And, and so you think back and you're like, wow, remember that horrible, horrible argument we had? I worry that if I start down this path again, that, that might happen again. Maybe, maybe it's not even worth trying to do this. Or you think back and you're like, you're like remember, remember when we, we used to walk on the beach and eat ice cream together? Well, I can't eat ice cream because I'm trying to lose weight. And she doesn't like the beach. We'll never, we'll never reach that again. We already hit our peak. We've already achieved whatever could be achieved. And from now on, it's just, there's no hope. Why bother? Why bother going back? Or even worse, ha, are you kidding me? I took her on a great date like three months ago. Like, we're good. By, by focusing on the past, what happens? You either dredge up guilt, which causes you to not want to go forward, or you sink into complacency, right? You look back and you're either like, this is hopeless, or you're like, ah, I'm good. That's the next thing in your note sheets. Don't let guilt or complacency stop you from more deeply knowing Jesus' person and character. There's some of you here who've you know, you've been doing Christianity for a really long time. And you remember a time in your past when like, you know, you were opening up the Bible every day and it was like so fresh and exciting. You were learning things left and right. And it was amazing. It was beautiful. And, and you look back and you're like, man, it's never going to happen again. There's nothing left for me to learn. I've learned everything there is to know. And someone might come along and say, well, I mean, what's your relationship with Jesus? Like, yeah, I know that guy. There was a time when it was new and exciting and fresh, but it's never going to be like that again. 
And there's some who uh, in the past, like, you know, tried to desperately to understand things like about Jesus' nature. He's God and human, but it was all too com- complicated. It was too difficult. It was strange. And it honestly, just it, it, all, it made Jesus seem far away. Jesus is much better to just sing and, and pray and Jesus loves me and I love him. And I may not know exactly who he is, but, but I, I, I prefer this because it's comfortable. I don't want to go through that again. And, or maybe, you know, at, at one point you were like, I see that some people have this really dynamic, like, really, it seems like um, emotional or, you know, powerful connection to Jesus. That seems awesome. I wish I could do that. Right. But I tried and it didn't work. And I feel bad because, you know, I, 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 I can study and I, and I can learn. Je- this is me, by the way. I can learn about Jesus and that's awesome. But to, like every time we sing these songs, it's like weird. It's like there's this invisible guy in the sky. I don't feel anything. And, you know, I, 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 maybe there's something wrong with me. I don't want to I don't want to mess with this. I don't want to try and go deeper. I don't want to waste my time with with weird you know, practices and disciplines and all the different things that people do to try to, to get to know Jesus. I, I, I'm, I'm good. I've got the facts. That's all I need. Paul's like, stop looking back. Instead, press. Seize hold of Jesus. Why? Because he seized hold of you. He grabbed me. The language is awesome. It's like it's Jesus, like Paul was running along and Jesus went and grabbed him and said, come here. And so Paul says, because Jesus did that for me, I am going to do whatever it takes to know him. Even if it's uncomfortable and weird, and even if I failed in the past, and even if I feel like I've already got it, I'm going to keep going because there's more out there. In the text, he says, I don't want just, I don't want just to know intimately. Oh, by the way, it's, I added the word intimately, know in, intimately, know Jesus, but it's what's implied. Uh, the Greek there, it's like getting to know someone really well. Um, but the, right after that, he, he, he says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. I want to know the power of the resurrection of the dead. I have a, um, I have a confession that I need to make to you all. Um, I'm, I'm 39 years old, and I have never once seen any of the Rocky movies. None. I know. Uh, I, I, I've, I've seen a little bit or a piece here and there on the TV. The ironic thing is I know the plot to every Rocky movie because I've talked to people about watching Rocky and they've told me how the movies go. Um, and, and the whole time I've just been pretending like I was a part of it and I feel bad. So I got that off my chest. Um, but one of, uh, the, the theme, one of the themes that goes on through the Rocky films is in every single one, as far as I know, uh, there comes a point where Rocky is just, he's just beat up. Like the whole point is like every time he goes at it and he's like, and then he just takes it. He just keeps getting hit and hit and hit. And it's like, there's no one can endure this. There's no way he's going to come back. And then he does. And then he wins. He beats up, uh, 
Dolph Lundgren and shows the commies that America's the best. But apparently at the same time, he's all, the communists actually start rooting for him. Is that, does that happen in that movie? I've heard this. Where like he, he wins over the, the, the Russians. And at the end, he's like, we can all get along. That was 1985. Four years later, he was right. Uh, and then, so, so that's kind of how Rocky goes. He's going, he's getting beat up. He's, and then, and then what's, what's amazing about him is that he always has a comeback. This incredible moment where he responds and returns and he wins. I don't know if you've noticed, but, but Jesus, his whole life and career was one comeback after another. Usually not for him, but for the people around him, right? So like Jesus would see somebody and this person's super oppressed, right? Totally taken out uh, either demonically or uh, they, they're sick or something like that. And then Jesus comes and he turns it around for him. He brings them back from the brink. They were, they were out and they were done and there was no hope. And then Jesus comes and he says, here's your chance. Here's the new beginning, the new start. Here's your little resurrection. And then of course, as Jesus goes through his career, it culminates in his own major comeback where, where death takes him and he goes into the grave, absorbs sin and death. And then God brings Jesus back, the ultimate comeback, the resurrection from the dead comeback. And so the same power, the same spirit Jesus has been using all throughout his career is, is crystallized and captured and encapsulated in this moment where he comes and where he beats the ultimate end, the ultimate comeback. Well, Paul knows this, and Paul spent all of his life, ever since Jesus seized him, finding out what Jesus did. And he's seen that Jesus fed, and he, and he freed, and he liberated, and he healed, and he, he raised. And Paul's like, I want it. He did that to me. Paul's like, I remember. I remember there was a time when, when I was off going, and Jesus, he turned me around. And he's like, I want to be a part of that. I want to experience that. That's real, and I want more of it. He's like, I want to be a part. And we know that he was a part of these miraculous things where he saw that resurrection power transform lives. He's like, I want more, more, more. He doesn't sit there and be like, man, it was so awesome when Jesus appeared to me on the road to Damascus. I wish I could get back to that. He doesn't say it was so amazing when I had this incredible ecstatic experience and I saw firsthand the highest heavens. Instead, he says, Philippians, I'm beat up right now, but I am determined to go forward and to see more of that same power. Even though I'm locked down, even though everything's changed for me, I want to see it again. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power that sees me, I want to see it seize you. I want to see more healings. I want to see more people freed. I want to see more people liberated and brought up from the bottom. I don't want to sit there and, and, and just be complacent about what's happened. I don't want to waste my time feeling guilty about the things that I failed at, where I didn't see a comeback. Instead, I want to press forward for the next one. And I'm never going to stop doing it. It's the next thing you're no cheese. Don't let guilt or complacency stop you from making a comeback. Last one. Okay, so junior high and high school, I told you I was going to waste a lot of your time, but not all of your time. 
And this is the thing I want you to hear. Um, and it's for your parents and uh, too. Um, it's this. Paul doesn't just stick with the, the happy things. He doesn't just stick with um, getting to know Jesus intimately and having a relationship with him that's tight and close. He doesn't just stick with the power of the comeback of resurrection. He doesn't stick with that. He goes the next step. And, and what does he say? He says, I want to share of his sufferings. Take the form of his death. It's important to notice that uh, he doesn't tell the Philippians that they should do this too. And uh, the one thing well, to begin with, I know that uh, cutting is you know super hot with the kids over these last 20 years. Um, this text has actually been used um, to justify self-harm. So uh, people would look at Paul saying, I want to share in Jesus' sufferings. Well, what were some of his sufferings? He was whipped. Um, he was crucified. And so throughout the Christian tradition, there have been those who have um, you know self-flagellated or in uh, Monty Python uh, the, the monks walk around with a board and they hit their heads with it. Um, and this is sort of to make fun of that tendency in Christianity. And, and it should be made fun of. Uh, Paul never goes out seeking violence. He never seeks out to be harmed. But he knows that the, the path he's chosen, or really the path that he's been called to, is going to bring suffering with it. He's going to get beat up. And he never says, hey, Philippians, if I don't see you guys scarred and beat up, then you're not doing it right. He never says that. That never happens. But Paul lives in a world that a lot of us are afraid may become very similar to ours. You see, Paul lives in a world where when you confess that Jesus is Lord, um, you're treated badly. Junior high, high school, um, you may not be aware of this, but... uh, a couple days ago, some rioters decided to take a sack of Bibles and burn them in Portland. Not because they thought that that would you know, hurt anybody, but because they wanted to offend Christians. Um, they wanted to provoke Christians into retaliating. You guys are young, um, but I can tell you that in the 39 years I've been here, I have never once seen the culture become less hostile to people of faith. And in the last 10 years, I've seen it become more and more hostile. And junior high and high school, the sad fact is a lot of us aren't going to be around to see if it goes really bad. And it might, it might not. and, And we pray that it doesn't. But we have seen in the past, we have seen in human history, that there have been times when Christians have been enemies of the state. Um, We've seen it in uh, communist China. We've seen it uh, in the Soviet bloc. Uh, Time and time again, there have been times where Christians have been seen as bad guys. And that may happen. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. It's no fun. But we've seen that the culture in the West has become increasingly hostile to 
Christian values, Christian mores. Um, and it might come to a place where you're want, people will want to exclude you and maybe even harm you because of your faith. And so I want you to understand how we as a church are going to prepare for that. We're going to pray that it doesn't happen. We're going to do all that we can to avoid that through voting and through evangelism and whatnot. But if the worst comes to worst, junior high, high school, your parents, you need to understand that we will respond exactly as Paul and the Philippians responded. Okay? So here's the deal. Paul gets out there and he's like, part of my spirituality is I want to share in Jesus' sufferings, even taking the form of his death. And that might mean that Paul expects to be literally crucified. It, it might. It might mean that he expects to be executed in some fashion. It, the point is, is that Paul fully expects the way he goes out of this life is as a martyr. And that's the term that we use in Christian history to, to honor and to glorify um, those who have taken the ultimate step and have been willing to die for their faith. But notice that Paul doesn't tell the Philippians to do that, okay? Paul has a special calling from God. His calling is to go out and he is to be bold. He is to tell the truth to the people who don't want to hear it, and he's going to do it no matter what. That's what God has called Paul to do. God doesn't call everyone to do that. But he's called Paul, and there's probably some good reasons. Paul's single. Paul doesn't have a family. He can do things. He has some freedom there that, that a lot of people don't have. But that comes at a cost, and he is asked to pay the ultimate price. What, why he does that, though, junior high and high school, and your parents and grandparents, he does that to provide cover and protect the Philippians. So the Philippians do what's called going underground. Okay, they stay low. They keep their mouths kind of shut. They keep their heads down. They go to work. They do the things that they do. They try not to, you know, ruffle any feathers as much as possible. And then they, at night, they go and they, they worship together. And then they, they indoctrinate. Let's just call it what it is. They're children in the truth. So junior high and high school, part of what we're trying to do here is to tell you the truth that will be rejected and hated outside so that you know it and you stick to it even if things get hard. And to protect and defend you, there will be some people in this congregation or elsewhere who will stand up and they will have the courage to do, to pay the ultimate price, to witness to the truth. God willing, none of us will live to see anything like that. But if we do, we have got to be ready. And that means being willing to share. And the, the word there is koinonia. I mean, some translations will say have fellowship uh, with Jesus' suffering. It means to be in solidarity with and possibly even participating in suffering of some kind. Deprivation, physical uh, suffering, Lots of different ways that we could go there. But the bottom line is, sometimes things get bad for Christians. But the truth is worth it. God is faithful. And the church, when unified, finds a way to survive even in the darkest times. So junior high and high school, know that we take seriously the change in this culture and desperately, desperately want to provide a place that's safe for you, where you can know the truth, 
grow in it, but are ready to stick to it even when it's hard. What's really crazy, if you remember the very first week we talked about Philippians, this was uh, 10 weeks ago, 9 weeks ago. What did we say? The surprising thing about this book, Paul's on lockdown, he's in prison, and he's never been more joyful. He's never been more excited about the gospel, more hopeful about the future. He's never been more excited about the people that he loves. He's never been more taken up in freedom and life, even though he's in prison. And, and the point of it, the reason for it, is that we're told to live your, le- your best life now, right? And we're told that living your best life now is accumulating wealth, and it's being happy, and it's having a, a, a great love life, and it's, it's all these things. That's what we're told uh, by the culture makes human life worth living. That's the goal. The, the, that's what life is about. Paul says, that's the world's best life. This is God's best life. God designed humanity and then he showed humanity what the ultimate human was in Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus of Nazareth, believe it or not, did things like suffered. He had a hard time. He expressed himself in solidarity with the weak and the outcasts. That's the best life. And it's totally counterintuitive to the way that, we're, that we operate, where we get more and more. And Paul is sitting there with less and less and he's never been more joyful because he's living not his best life, not Rome's best life, not Judaism's best life, but God's best life now. And that's the life of knowing Christ intimately, emotionally, intellectually, at every level. It's the life of sharing in the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to bring new life and transformation to everyone around you. And it is, in many cases, being ready to hurt. Here's a guy who gave everything up. Everything. We learned about it a couple weeks ago. He gave it all up. He thought it was all scubala. If you remember, it means poo. He treated everything that the world thinks is valuable as poo. And the result was ultimate, lasting joy. God's best life now. And so Paul tells the Philippians, he tells us the same thing. Follow me. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we just ask you to fill up in our hearts and lives fresh desire to to forget what's behind and to stop resting on our loyals and to uh, our laurels and to, to, to give up our our past victories and our guilt, our failures, and instead focusing on that, instead focusing on going forward to the life that you've called us to. Going forward to the life of knowing Jesus deeply in every possible way, with every fiber of our being, to taking part in his transformation, his comebacks, seeing uh, the poor raised up 
seeing the sick healed, seeing sin and death overcome and replaced with life and freedom and even being ready to endure pain. God, show us the joy of your best life. In Jesus' name, through whom we have righteousness and peace. Amen.